You're listening to the Teen Wolf Rewolf. Oh my gosh. What? It, it's 6B. I know. I cannot believe it. I feel like we're like super seniors right now. Like we kind of had our big hurrah with 6A and now we're like, shit, I still have like three credits left to graduate. And it's so nice and your teachers won't let you sit outside. Yeah. 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 This is where we're at. Dude, why were so many of my teachers so opposed to us sitting outside? You know, I just think that um, if you have a bunch of like thankless sad sack of second semester seniors who come in every day and they're like can we have class outside you're like this is a reflection on how you feel about me we're not having class outside stop taking it personally (laughs) it's just 65 degrees out um no but they they want to be the center of your universe for an hour so are you you saying that teachers are narcissists (laughs) no but I've always wondered why like there aren't more men in the field of elementary school education because you know men like love to talk uh-huh. Um, and when you teach elementary school, it's a captive audience for like five out of five hours yeah. out of your day. Um, I've never understood it, but yeah. Um, I think I would be a great, um, kindergarten teacher. I agree. Kindergarten or like high school English, which was the dream before the actual dream, which is acting. <laughs> you know, normal. Yeah. Normal stuff. Yeah. I always feel like if I ever got famous... Which will not happen. <laughs> but they'd be like, what did you want to be before you are an actor? And I could be like, oh, something so humble, like a high school English teacher. Well, you know, I think a lot of people in this world want to be Miss Honey. I mean, she's not an yes. English, she's not a high school English teacher, but like the Miss Honey vibes. Yeah, I especially want to live in her little cottage. Her little tiny if you were cottage. like, what was, the, you know, I'm famous, you're famous, I'm interviewing mm-hmm. you. And, and what did you want to be before all this happened? I wanted to be a marine biologist. That's a good one. Yeah, well, yeah. again. I had a very, very intense marine biology phase, like a lot of kids. Yes. So. Yeah. Um, and you know what? Some people, they want to be vets, like Scott McCall. More power to them. I, uh, I actually have a lot of friends who are in veterinary science and like, yeah, more power to them. I love animals so much. I understand why they love it, doing that. I, I don't think I could do it. And I've seen some gross <laughs> stuff around my hor- in, in my horse days. Um, my little sister for a really long time wanted to be a vet and then um, discovered that she was just like terrified of blood, which unfortunately is just genetic because my stepdad is also terrified of blood. So uh, dreams crushed. But she's doing other things, saving animals. Good. Yeah. Good. A lot of animals not saved in this episode. No, a lot of animals dead with spiders crawling out of them. Yeah. Ew. How do we feel like we're approaching 6B? Do you feel like you're ready to be done? No, not at all. Yeah. I'm I'm a little getting like a little sort of like nostalgic. We're like, look at where we started. It is. We literally recorded the first episode of this podcast states and states away from each other Uh before we moved to Chicago and then we sat on the couch with our one microphone yeah before we had the setup that we have now Uh and um we talked for way too long in circles yes um and now I feel like we've we've got it down we have it to a science (laughs) no I mean like the amount of like editing I used to have to do for, yeah. yeah, compared to now, which is like we just talk into the mics and then are like, okay, and then upload it. Is that an indication of a growth or just a complete misplaced sense of confidence? 
Um, I'm definitely like lazier about it. <laughs> like I wouldn't even say it's either. I'm just like it's not worth taking out whatever. Senioritis. Um, yeah, I have senior. I have senioritis <laughs> about the podcast. I have senioritis about six B. But that said, I think that it's going to be a good next few weeks as we close it out here on the Teen Wolf Real Podcast, a podcast where we talk about MTV's Teen Wolf. My name is Christian, and I'm Julia, and we're here to talk about the first episode of season six B. It is called. Said the spider to the fly. Yes, it was written by Adam Carp, who has also written on Once Upon a Time, um, a show that I will not comment on. Um, Julia loves it. I do. But uh, it was also directed by Russell Mulcahy, this episode, not Once Upon a Time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, this felt like a Russell episode. It did. There was a couple choices I really liked, um, and I have in my observations. But before we get too deep into it, we do have to do the 60-second recap. And as it is the beginning of the season, are you ready to do rock, paper, scissors for the last time? <laughs> sure, sure. Let's do it. All ready? right. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Damn it. Why the? Why do I let you win? <laughs> I know you pick scissors. I know. <laughs> I just, you know, I love how um, utterly thrilling it is for our listeners to hear us play rock, paper, scissors and know the outcome, but not be able to see any of it. Well, they know the outcome the second I say rock, paper, scissors. They're like, Christian, you idiot. You're right. She picked paper. I picked scissors. Uh, that That is just the circle of life here at the team of Wolf headquarters yeah um and so christian yeah has uh a minute to summarize the first episode uh-huh. of season 6b and um because i'm feeling nostalgic i'm gonna ask you if you're ready <laughs> I, I don't even have a witty response <laughs> Okay, my right. pride is too damaged from <laughs> the uh, rock paper scissors. You know, it's um, we're just staying humble here on our last leg of the rewolf. Um, but you have a minute on the clock to recap this episode, starting right now. So Scott is running lacrosse practices, and Liam is throwing a temper tantrum because Hayden is gone, and then the coach tries to make somebody else captain, and then uh, Liam runs out and like is totally baller on the field, and then wolfs out, and then an actual wolf shows up, and some kid named Nolan is like being weird about it. Anyway, Lydia tells Malia that she has to help uh, the boys with the wolf problem because they go into the woods and there's all these dead wolves and Malia's like actually I'm going to Paris and then uh, Scott and Liam talk about his, him wolfing out and then at Iken House, House there's this patient that's been encased in um, rock and then he breaks free and he's actually a hellhound and then Liam um goes to oh Liam registers for classes with Monroe and she's really weird about it and so do Mason and Corey and she's like tell me about your problems and they're like no and then uh, Nolan tells Monroe that he's really effed up about what happened in the library in season five. In Sydney's math class, a bunch of rats flood the school, and then Mason and Liam were like, "Okay, we have to go investigate." So they go to the tunnels and they find a rat king. And then Lydia tells her mom that she needs to stop like sitting in the back seat. She has to participate in the supernatural. Scott talks to Melissa about self defense, and she's like, "Actually, I'm not defending myself. I'm going to save people with all of these magic herbs." Oh, the new hellhound invades the sheriff station and then goes to the hospital where there's been a massive. Okay. Okay. Fine. Yeah. Okay. You feel good about it? Nope. Feel like you did it? Nope. Not at all. Not at all. No. Okay. Well, I got like halfway through. Yeah. I will say this was a jam-packed episode. I was. I would not call this a... This was like most akin to the first episode of season five, which uh, we know how we feel about that episode. It was too much too fast. That's what... It didn't have the sort of like ease into the season, which I will say like does help establish tone, but was not a great introduction to the new plot i agree do you want to try to get farther than me um i'll do my best all right 
on your mark get set go okay so lacrosse is back and scott is the assistant coach and liam is in the deep sads because hayden is gone but they're like oh we're gonna try to help you there's a new kid nolan who is like super super good um a wolf comes out on the field and he's all bloody and scott gets it to leave and they follow and then there are a bunch of spiders coming out of the wolf and then there are other wolves the girls are hanging out and malia wants to go to france but uh lydia's like no you have to help the boys uh liam is helping scott pack and they have a little heart to heart about um him wolfing out and losing his mind uh eichenhaus's oldest patient is uh surprise surprise a hellhound who escapes monroe the new guidance counselor is like setting up the baby pack with um their senior schedule and she's like you know what if you want to talk to me about this and then she asks uh nolan and he's like there was an animal attack in the library but it's not really an animal so uh he kind of knows that scott's a werewolf maybe um there are a bunch of rats in the classroom and so mason and liam go down to the tunnels and they find the rat king um lydia's like here mom there's a list of supernatural creatures and uh, natalie's like mm, i'm not gonna deal with this and you're gonna be three thousand miles away scott is worrying about his mom but she's like i'm all good with the nine herbs malia is like oh you know these rat this rat king was just full of fear but it's not my problem anymore the hellhound is like looking for paris oh, in the hospital that would be it we got to the same place we did so i don't know how I feel good about it. I feel fine about it. Okay, well, if you feel so <laughs> fine about it, why don't you feel so good about it? You feel great. Okay, then why don't you wrap it up for us? Okay, so um, Liam and Mason bring the other a rat to Mama McCall, and she's just like, what the fuck is wrong with you guys? Um, and then a bunch of patients are fighting, and Liam gets punched, and he, like, wolfs out. Um, and the hellhound, like, keeps coming after him, and Parrish has, like, a vision of him. Lydia goes to pick up Scott at his house and then starts to hallucinate the school covered in spider webs, and she starts touching them, and they make a whole bunch of noise, which is, like, sounds that we recognize from other seasons and then stuff we haven't heard before. Um, Parrish and the new uh, hellhound Halwyn meet at the school, and um, they start fighting, and Halwyn's like, you let something out when you brought everyone back from the wild hunt. Um, Monroe sees and follows them after Parrish gets KO'd, and uh, Halwyn realizes that Liam is not the problem. Um, Lydia tells Scott that they can't leave because there's a problem, and they go to convince Malia. Monroe follows Halwyn and um, shoots him dead in the face question mark um and then the, the big pack is talking about how there's always a price to pay because they brought everyone back from the wild hunt meanwhile um styles is in Kowantico. it is a little fbi um internship and uh learns that derek hale is wanted for mass murder in north carolina he looks. Uh, Styles looks like a Mormon. <laughs> he really does. He's dressed little, like he's on his mission. <laughs> his little shirt and tie. Yeah. Hello. Yeah. Um, <laughs> my name is Elder Stalinsky. <laughs> Mouthful. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that is the plot of this episode. Yeah, it is. It sure Pretty is. much. Um, I like <laughs> truly was laughing at at the FBI thing, uh, mostly just because like the universe that that <laughs> takes place in is not the universe of Beacon Hills. Like it literally is like, oh yeah, Beacon Hills is a parallel dimension to the real world, pretty much. But I literally, I told you this when we were laughing <laughs> because I did not watch Six B until way later because I, you know, was a, a like a lapsed Teen Wolf fan. <laughs> A lapsed Catholic. A lapsed Catholic (laughs) in the Church of Dean Wall. (laughs) And there is that scene where Stiles spits out the water because he sees Derek, literally just a clip from season one they've thrown on the TV. In black and white. In black and white. No, I actually just think the coloring in season one was that bad. (laughs) It's a clip from season one of him just like running through the woods and Stiles spits out his water for 
years. <laughs> I had seen that gift and I thought it was like a steric edit that a fan had made. <laughs> I had no idea that it was actually in the show. But it turns out 6B was like whatever fan service. <laughs> it is actually incredible um, how I would have thought the same thing if I were in your shoes because it is so, it's really funny. It's totally funny. Um, but you're like, oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> What is this? Uh, nowhere to be found <laughs> in canon previous. That's what it is. Mm. Anyway, so we're going to be talking about... Ooh, burn. Ooh. <laughs> um, we're going to be talking about this episode through the theme of responsibility. Who's taking it on? Who's shrugging it? Who is really intimidated by it? Um, who's unnecessarily taking it on? Monroe. <laughs> Where would you like to start? Um, I kind of want to start with... Liam. L- little baby Liam. And Mason. Okay. Cause... Yes. Yeah. So right now, Mason is like for so- the only thing keeping <laughs> Liam together and Scott. Um, but Liam is where we left him at the be- end of last season, which is where he was like starting to fill, you know, Scott's shoes and like really taking on this huge challenge. Now that push comes to shove, he's a little uncertain. And also comedically heartbroken like cartoonishly like his whole like big mopey sad sad in the locker room i was like this has to be played for laughs because they couldn't find a way to like make their breakup like super earnest and genuine if she wasn't there and not a very big part of 6a yeah it is unfortunately just funny and it does feel intentional unlike um, the end of five where they like bound up to each other, um, you know, on the drop off or whatever. Oh my God, literally. <laughs> I totally forgot how dumb that was. <laughs> so dumb. Um, but you know, Liam is very much in his like 17 year old boy. Nothing is ever going to matter because my girlfriend moved away. She abandoned me. And of course, because like we don't see Hayden, it very much feels, um, like a projection of how he feels about Scott leaving because he does mention him and Mason has to be like, Babe, that does not mean that he's abandoning you. He's literally going to college. Yeah. Um, But he's starting to face, like, the reality of Scott leaving, which I must be a little harder now that, like, they succeeded. They beat the Wild Hunt. They, you know, Liam did all the things that he was supposed to do, and he was taking on all of that responsibility. Um, But now the bills have come due. Yeah, I mean, I th- what's really interesting is I think that Liam really thought he was standing on his own without realizing that he had, like, Scott McCall training wheels on. Yeah. And the, you know, extent of this responsibility, especially now that he's lost a, a part of his um, emotional support circle and is losing Scott in roughly the same in, in, in succession, is really devastating to him. Um I think that that also, like, I think sometimes in the face of, like, responsibility or unsure of taking on, you do kind of regress to immaturity, which is clearly what he's doing. If you just sort of let everyone think you're not ready to take it on, then you don't have to. You are a big baby about it. And what's interesting to me is that in lieu of Liam, like, ponying up and, like, being like, yeah, I'm going to run this shit, Mason has to be like, okay, baby Liam, (laughs) and, like, push him from room to room and, like, be this huge, like... 
you can do this. And like they actually have this really sweet scene at the end where Liam is very badly hurt from the um, hellhound because hellfire makes it harder to heal. And he's like, I can't can't even heal from this. And Corey's like, yeah, but you will. And Liam's like, yeah, but it still hurts. Yeah. You know? It is very, very sweet. Um, I love that the that this is kind of reinforcing the bond between Liam and Mason because we didn't see a whole lot of Mason in the last season um or their their bond like the baby pack but it just felt well well you know the big Mason's big thing last season was his relationship with Corey which we both liked but Corey yeah. gets gone in the sixth episode and then Mason's gone for like the last three so yeah um, and so it's nice to kind of reground their relationship. And I also do kind of like the fact that, you know, Liam and Corey don't exactly get along, but Corey's like helping Liam because Mason asked yeah. him to. He's like, fine, I will do this for you because you, for some reason, love this weirdo who I hate. And I have a responsibility to you because I love you for some reason. Yeah. Um, um, no, Mason is easy to love. There's he no sure for some is. reason. Yeah, it's really interesting to me. Like, they have this whole conversation, like, in, in terms of, of the, you know, the physical wounds, but it's clearly a... a a way of of Mason being able to be like, yeah, Hayden being gone is going to hurt. Scott being gone is going to hurt. But like you have a job to do and like I have a job to do to keep, you know, pushing through. Um, And they go on like such a Scott Stiles adventure of like investigating gross dead shit and pipes. And I'm like, this is classic Teen Wolf. (laughs) Yeah. um, I think that's one of the things that distinguishes Liam's, um, feelings of angst over his responsibility from like other characters in this episode is that he he does feel that it rests on his shoulders his reluctance to take it on is not feeling like it isn't his problem but rather like a feeling that he perhaps might not measure up to the challenge or that it would hurt too much because Scott is gone but he does very much see that like he is now in a place where he has to be like the alpha they keep being like liam you're the alpha now yeah uh, so far as i know that's not how it works but knowing teen wolf (laughs) they could change the rules at any second well you know if scott was an alpha of his own pack without being an alpha i fucking guess yeah yeah um but yeah i i think it's really interesting and they uh they kind of demonstrate that like you know scott i think was more willing to take on these big tasks because they were so much more personal as opposed to like, I think the biggest thing about like Liam and Mason being the successors is that that's exactly it. They're like inheriting responsibility as opposed to taking it for themselves. And that's where they're both sort of like Mason is, is obviously a little bit more like, let's do this. Come on. And I think that's part of the reason why Liam feels a little bit like, you know, it's too much. I'm not there. It's not mine. Stuff like that. Yeah. They also, I mean, Scott at the beginning starts out with like relatively small potatoes in comparison to the conflicts of the later seasons. Oh my seasons. gosh. His biggest <laughs> thing is like, I mean, I guess Liam is also having this problem in this episode is like, oh my gosh, I can't turn into a werewolf on the lacrosse field because then everyone will know. And Ooh. then like Liam is like, my best friend turned into an ancient beast. <laughs> yeah. So they're kind of working from like a different baseline. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they, like, Scott did 
play the first season on easy mode, you know? I really did. <laughs> like, Liam, Liam and Mason are playing through the fire and the flames on the expert. <laughs> like, this is horrible. Um, yeah, and you know what? It's funny because they also have another Skiles, Styles and uh, Scott moment where, like, Styles and Scott would be like, uh, when they're in trouble, they're like, let's call Lydia. And in when they need help, Liam and Mason call Malia, yeah. who is doing everything to shirk responsibility <laughs> in this episode let's talk about her very funny so funny. in this episode oh i w- i would love to just see like a scene that like shelly hennig just improvs because i think that she has such good timing she and really like, really good instincts yeah um i love the idea that um malia wants to go to paris why? I don't know. She says it to meet French men. I suppose. I guess because, like, you know, she did break up with Styles, and then, like, Lydia loves him, and they love each other, so now she's single, ready to mingle in Paris, Yeah, I guess. Um, and I think Malia, uh, poor Malia, mm-hmm. um, who was, like, a coyote for many, many years, and then when she became a human again got thrown into Eichenhaus and then when she was done with Eichenhaus she had to go to high school yeah and then after she had to go to high school she had to you know do all of this stuff with the pack because she grew a human conscience yeah um so now she gets her moment to fly off to France yeah and of course she doesn't want to start taking responsibility for all this stuff. She has the goal in sight. Yeah. Well, she also has always been the most reluctant to take responsibility. And she does it because, like you said, she developed a human conscience. Boo. <laughs> um, but she has it, it has been waiting for an out because she's not a natural leader. She doesn't naturally feel compelled to help people, which, like, yeah, girl, do I you. I get it. Um, and doesn't really have the connections to this place that other people did because she spent most of her life as a coyote in the woods. Mm-hmm. So the fact that she does ultimately end up staying means so much more like to me about her relationship to Lydia and Scott because they're the ones asking as opposed to her responsibility to Beacon Hills because she wants to get out of there more than anybody. Yeah, it, it absolutely speaks to her... Knowing that she's part of that pack, um, and that that, you know, with great power comes great responsibility or whatever. Yeah. And I like, you know, there's moments earlier in this episode where we see her and Lydia hanging out, and we saw quite a bit of that in season five, or not season five, six A. Yeah. What the hell were we just talking about? Um, So I'm glad that that relationship has been built upon, because if it was just Scott and Styles not there, you know, like, I like that there's... um, that she feels she has those roots to Lydia mm-hmm. and to Scott. Yeah, Lydia's just, like, in her room being like, we have to help the boys, and she's, like, checking her flight tracker. Yeah, and she's like, the boys can figure it out. And Lydia's like, the boys absolutely cannot figure it out. True. We should just, like, every <laughs> episode of Teen Wolf should be paired with the scene of the girls being like, God, the boys are so stupid. <laughs> they are. They are. Um, let's talk about Lydia a little bit. She takes responsibility in an interesting way in the way that she is trying to encourage her mother to take responsibility. Yeah, I Lydia is so interesting because Lydia has always known that she was going to go somewhere fabulous. Mm-hmm. She's going to MIT, right? I didn't yeah. make that up. She's going to MIT, which is the dream because, you know, math. Yeah. Um, she's always known that. And 
she has always like been able to prepare for kind of the eventuality of her leaving because that was never really um, in question. Mm-hmm. So she feels of all of these characters like the one who has the most concrete plan, and she's really trying to give her mother the tools to help out in her absence. And what a crushing disappointment that her mom is like, that is not my problem. Well, I think it's also so interesting because it's not like Lydia knows this yet that her mom is like, no, like my responsibility is to my students and not to the supernatural, but already we have a bad actor in the system who is actively taking a a stance against the supernatural Mm -hmm. and therefore against her students. And she sort of, I mean, she doesn't know this, but you know, like that's naivete because she's not engaged. She's clearly not paying attention to the any conversation about Supernatural at the school that she is the principal of, I guess. I was going to ask. I, I think she is the principal last season because that's how Styles doesn't get kicked out of school or something like that. Okay. Um, but yeah, and Lydia, who knows better and has seen how, like the subjugation of the supernatural can destroy people because she has spent time in Eichen house and has had watched people's lives get ruined and has spent time with the Argents and seen the Calaveras and knows what can happen to people, the Deadpool. And the fact that her mom is so disengaged when Lydia is like, you know, these problems are like my problems forever. Right. is kind of unfortunate. And it's, it's interesting. It's never the way that I wanted the Natalie-Lydia relationship to play out. But I also kind of understand where Natalie's coming from. Not in a way where I agree with her, but just in like the I understand her as a human type of way. I get it um, as well. I think it's interesting to put her um, in conversation with Melissa, who um, has felt a very strong responsibility since she found out about the supernatural um, and pretty readily accepted her place within that world as like a helper and a person that, you know, really pretty much anyone can go to and that she's a resource for. Um, so I guess it kind of makes sense to have Natalie as like a foil to that um, where Natalie is just focused on Lydia. Um, but like you said, those are Lydia's problems. Um not only um, are have there been threats to supernatural creatures in the past, like you mentioned, with the Deadpool, etc., but there are also constantly in Beacon Hills just, like, threats to the general citizenry that the supernatural population is, like, trying to help and stop. Mm-hmm. And like Lydia says to her mom, you know stuff, so you have to do stuff. It's not just about protecting those students, but it's about acknowledging that those students, like, I don't know, they might miss their homework. yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting that, like, Natalie is, like, a very much, like, I, you know, I pretend not to see it. (laughs) But Lydia's right. Like, if you are one of the few who understands that this is a part of your world, like, you don't get to opt out in existing in that part of the world anymore because you knowing about it means you exist in it. Um, And it's interesting because Lydia is at a, a similar impasse with Malia, where Malia is also like, that's not my problem. Sorry, I've done enough saving the world, which is interesting. A very different feeling from what um, Natalie has. Um, and Lydia is like looking at both of these people who are supposed to be people who care about her and care about the people around her and are like, mm, I'm good. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, but 
that must be so incredibly frustrating to her because Lydia cannot shirk responsibility because it literally follows her. Yeah, she sees dead people. <laughs> she sees, like <laughs> she sees dead people. She's constantly transported to these random hallucinations that she can't control. She hears voices she can't explain. Like she is unable to shirk those responsibilities and she's just asking for a little goddamn help. You know, and it's funny that like obviously like she's not psychic, but she is given a huge hint as to what is coming this season when she's in the spider webs. Mm-hmm. She says, you know, I heard people who have never laid hand on another people, on another person killing each other. Yeah. Which is foreboding. Foreboding. I, I get it. You know, it's about, you know, the, the infectious, like insidiousness of fear and knowing that feeling it, knowing it coming. There's no way. And this is, I mean, like obviously that comes later in the episode, but like at that point, there's no way Lydia can step back, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I want to talk about the Hellhounds. Yeah, there are two of them now. Parrish is back, which he was not in a big part of 6A for whatever reason. Ryan Kelly, our biggest fan. I missed him. Our biggest fan, Ryan Kelly. Where were you last season? I, like, legit missed him. I did, yeah. Um, For all of our poo-pooing about his relationship with Lydia, we were like, wait, hold on. He actually (laughs) adds something great to the back. We we like him. Mm-hmm. We just didn't love the Lydia thing. thing. Yeah. Um. Yeah. But now, um, he is being confronted with the fact that he is not the only one of his kind. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because right now these hellhounds, um, are upon meeting, both living up to their responsibility. Like, Parrish has taken on this you know, huge task of protecting Beacon Hills, especially when Parrish used to think that like that was against his nature as a hellhound. Mm-hmm. And now he realizes that he is actually like this great protector of this place. And, you know, that's part of being like a deputy or whatever, blah, 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 copaganda. Um, but Halloween knows something we don't know. He knows about the Anukate. He knows that something has been released from the hunt and it is his job to destroy it, his responsibility to destroy it at any costs. And because both of them are missing this huge piece of information about the other one, they end up in this huge battle. I actually kind of liked the idea of them both fighting. The Both in the flame retardant shorts was very funny. Why are they so long? Just don't have their clothes burn off. Just, that was the biggest problem. Like, we wouldn't even... Or have them be wearing little booty shorts. (laughs) Little booty shorts. Yeah. (laughs) I would like to see it. I would like to see (laughs) some Calvin Klein boxer briefs. Yeah. Um, Just nut up and (laughs) do it. Come on. Note to the Teen Wolf (laughs) costume department. Um, They look so ridiculous. They look so dumb. (laughs) Ridiculous. They look like, you know, someone cut off the bottom part of a scuba suit. (laughs) Yeah. It's so dumb. But they're like not compression shorts. They're loose. (laughs) It's really weird. Like they're not quite bad. It would be incredibly funny if it was basketball (laughs) shorts. Full Adam Sandler. (laughs) Um, that'd be even better. Yeah. No, it, it looks a little ridiculous, but I did like the idea of them, um, fighting. I, it, it kind of frustrates me, um, because we've seen Parrish as like a singular creature up until now. Mm-hmm. And now there's another one. And that guy is like really 
Halwin. His name is Halwin. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Diedrich. Diedrich Halwin. Diedrich Halwin is like really singularly focused on this thing that got left that got let out during the hunt, and he doesn't bother explaining it to Parrish. Yeah, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Um, you know, he is very driven by his responsibility to um, save the world. I guess because I guess the world's going to end. That's unclear. He um, also thinks the thing is Liam and does no investigating. He's like, it must be that guy. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing to suggest that it's Liam. He just doesn't like short people. <laughs> short to King, short Liam Dunbar. King, Liam. Um, yeah, he just kind of goes after him, and it's this weird like miscommunication and misunderstanding of what each other's responsibilities are. Because I'm sure that if, like, Parrish understood, he would also see that as his responsibility. But yeah. because he doesn't have the information, he's like, who's this motherfucker? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's legit the Spider-Man <laughs> meme. <laughs> yeah. It's the two Spider-Mans pointing at each other. The three, the three, three Spider-Mans. Spider-Mans yeah. <laughs> but, it, but the two. It would be very funny if there were three Hellhounds. Yeah. Just for different shit. Yep. Um... Yeah, it's a it's an interesting conundrum, and then of course, uh, you know, Holland um, can't fulfill his responsibilities. No, at, at the end of this. Well, yeah. Well, at the end of this episode. At the end of this season, seemingly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I think it. I think it's really compelling to see two hellhounds. I wish there had been a little bit more conversation. <laughs> Uh, no. There was, like, not enough dialogue in this this episode. It was so much growling. So much growling. So much, um... A lot of pack stats, though. Teeth, yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to talk now, just moving in away from Halloween, and the person who is stunting his responsibilities is Monroe. Mm-hmm. Um, she is the guidance counselor. She is the, uh, <laughs> I guess the morale replacement. Yeah. We'll talk about that. Okay. Um, uh, was like for some some way like it's really funny because when I think about her good really good scenes in the show, they often have to do with when the characters really did open up to her. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Like also a guidance counselor and a school like social worker like psycho like therapist are two different professions. No, I, I mean y- yes they are. I'm just thinking about like my high school guidance counselor who was like 83 <laughs> and like. Would not have understood a single word that I said to him about non-school related things. Yeah. My guidance counselor, like, I went, my high school was so big. There was like seven guidance counselors because that's how you had to register classes for that many, for like 1,500 kids. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, Beacon Hills High is not big, obviously. Um, But. Except is it big? Because how big is Beacon Hills? We have no idea. And there's clearly only one school. Yeah. In the entire district. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but she is kind of taking the opportunity to psychoanalyze um, the baby pack or what remains of it through their class schedules. Mm-hmm. Um, she's really like trying to push Liam to like rise above his idiocy. And um, that's not the move. Yeah. I mean, she's both trying to... Her like trying to be like a good guidance counselor is part of her agenda to get more information about the supernatural happenings in this school, because she is clearly already so deep in on her like radicalization about like hunting down the supernatural that she basically is like looking for reason to go hunting. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and she gets it a little bit from Nolan, who is clearly really damaged by what he saw in the library in season five, which is like a valid fear. And obviously, like the plot of the season is that people's fears are turning into 11 and they're acting on like insane impulses. But what this says to me is that Monroe was already like ass deep in this before the Wild Hunt came to town. Yeah, absolutely. Well, because that's that's the thing. Um, is that we really don't know what happened to Gerard. Yeah. No. <laughs> um, at the end of five, season five. five. Uh, he gets clipped on the arm. I guess. And then disappears. And yeah. we don't know what happens to him ever again. So left to his own devices, Gerard will breed hatred and chaos. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And we see Monroe um, acting on what she must feel is her responsibility to go after Halwyn when she sees them fighting. Mm-hmm. Um, because he is a supernatural creature. And like you said, she is ass deep (laughs) in this radicalization. And um, she doesn't know who he is or what he wants or what he is, but she knows that the answer is to shoot him in the face. And it's obviously a far more striking um, and upsetting example of like what the, like, you know, um, Hunter stuff can do to people in the show compared to like what we saw Allison go through or we had all of these like really concrete examples of like traumas Allison had faced and like the ways that Gerard was able to weasel his way in and like turn her in that way and Mm -hmm. to see somebody we don't know come in and being like so sure of that mindset is upsetting obviously and reflects the fact that she has taken on has like created a responsibility for herself um against good basically but she thinks it's good, but that's how, you know, radicalization works. Yeah. That's how it goes, is that the people, like, you know, the fucking people who are voted for Trump think they're doing the right thing. Disturbing and what the F, but yeah. And, you know, honestly, I think um, a lot of what I feel about this season in general is just, like, a sadness um, that these people come to that place and like obviously it's being manipulated by supernatural forces but if we're um accepting the idea that gerard has been radicalizing people even like before the wild hunt um that just makes me really sad yeah (laughs) um that people can be manipulated into those situations yeah yeah um you know it's an infection hate is infectious fear is infectious and it festers and that's how you get the last four years. Um, anywho, I remember when we used to have to talk about Trump every episode, and then we kind of got a little bit of a break, not because the world stopped falling apart, but just because our president wasn't tweeting about it. And now we're back because this season is making us relive it. Yeah. Um, I'm ready. We'll see. Yeah. I'll talk to my therapist about it. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about Scott before we move on to Q's and O's. Scott is... I think showing, like, extreme, um, like, uh, he's, he's so much more mature, you know? Mm-hmm. Even, you know, and it's, it's not that, like, we've, we've often said that Scott is emotionally intelligent, but Scott's biggest thing is that he's always been like, I need to be the person at the front and center of, of, of solving this. And the fact that he's like, yeah, he's assistant coach on the lacrosse team, but, like, it's not like he's, you know, stage momming. It's his last day. It's his last day. He's ready to move on. He has this plan that Lydia, him and Lydia, for some reason Lydia is also going to UC Davis with him for a little bit, I guess. 
that they're going to drive probably down. an airport there yeah that they're going to drive down together and he's really ready to leave and then is sucked back in you know mm-hmm. and obviously scott is not one to deny that responsibility he's going to take it but he also does wait until he has to take it which is the most restraint scott has ever shown in that situation ever I think it's a symbol of growth yeah. for him. Um, I think one of the most responsible things that you can do in relation to other people is um, kind of knowing when you can step back and when you can trust people to kind of do it on their own. And Liam has proven himself, um, not currently right at the moment, but he uh, has been. And he's, you know, working with his mom. He gave her a little taser that is clearly from Chris. Yeah. Um, Would have loved if Chris (laughs) taught Melissa how to use the taser. Where did he go? Where did he go? Their relationship is so sexy. (laughs) Yeah, it was really hot. Um, But, you know, I... We, I, we were talking about Melissa's feelings of responsibility a little bit earlier, but um, he is so pleased and kind of impressed to see his mom is like really prepared for him to leave. And um, she feels really confident in that, which is great. And like Scott is always going to have this responsibility to Beacon Hills, but it's so cool to see him feel like he can move on mm-hmm. while at the same time recognizing that this is a big enough deal to make him stay. Yeah. The, the, the man has to use the logic part of his brain in lieu of Styles being there. <laughs> yeah, well, and he, you know, he feels a responsibility to Styles who already got out. Yeah. Who already left. And is begging him to get out. Yeah. And doesn't, he doesn't want to be the one to call him. He doesn't want to be the one to rope him in because, you know, he has a responsibility to Styles as a friend to let him live his FBI dreams. Which, like, Styles has seen enough. It's, he yeah. can go away. He, yeah, he, he really can. I mean, he n- does now have the Derek problem to deal with. But <laughs> they were like, it was the last season. We had to do something to make them be quiet. <laughs> so funny. Um, should we move to Q's and O's? Let's do it. Okay, do you have any questions? I mean, like... Yeah, but no. Did you write any down? <laughs> I just, the hellhound stuff is really confusing to me. Um, and it feels just like a miscommunication problem. I think the biggest problem is that you, neither you nor I has any idea what <laughs> happens in this season. At all. No, literally I all. thought Theo was in this episode and he's not, so. Sad, actually. I know, I was like, Missed where, him. Is, where is he? Where is the boy? Mm-hmm. Um, Do you have any questions? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to start having questions now. I used to, like, make up questions to, like, fake ask in the early seasons. And it's, like, not worth it. I know. But, you know, we're, I'm trying to stay consistent. Anyway. For our final days. Yeah. Senioritis, baby. Um, do you have any observations? Yeah, I have a couple. Um, little little moment from Coach in this episode. I uh. love seeing him um there are a few people that i'm like where the fuck is deaton yeah where is he sydney was here sydney poor sydney um running from the rats in the classroom i love that sydney never becomes like a main character she's just around to like be sydney and i think that's Mm -hmm. perfect yeah um i kind of like the idea of melissa the way that melissa's character is evolving is she feels kind of like an emissary to me 
Yeah. At this point. And I really like that idea. It's legit because Deaton's not around. <laughs> yeah. So she has to play emissary to baby pack, which I, yeah. I think is an interesting concept. Similarly, I really like the idea that there was a consequence of saving everyone from the wild hunt. Um, because there had to be. Um, there that, was like really no dread doctor consequence except for what's his name. And he was like, honestly, a non-entity last season. Pretty much. Douglas. Yeah. So, um, I like the idea of it. I'm not so sure about the execution, but we will get there. Um, I a hundred percent thought that Dr. Fenris was dead. I could, I can't even believe you know his name. Uh, Cause of the subtitles. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I really thought that he was dead. I yeah, really, I thought that Valak killed him. I thought so too, but apparently not. And I was also, re- I was reading some synopses so that I could sound a little bit more prepared for this season. Okay. Um, apparently he didn't die in this episode either when he gets thrown against the wall by the hellhound, which, you know, shocking. Interesting. Um, and I really liked the design of the way that the hellhound is being um held in eichenhaus oh yeah it looked like uh like the um casings of people who were burned in like pompeii Mm -hmm. it also kind of reminded me of um a golem a a golem yeah um which would be which would have been a very interesting route uh Teen wolf to take yeah yeah uh, but unfortunately, it was just a hellhound. Um, but I really liked that. I thought it was super cool. Um, I love the hellhound design. We may have already talked about this, but I love that it looks like their skin is like lava underneath, like the yeah. little cracks that you can see. Um, I think that's great. You know what else the um, hellhound in the lava looked like? Do hmm. you know the episode of Doctor Who where they're on like the planet with the weeping angels and all of the statues are angels, but they're all like f- fucked up? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Actually, um, that was when I wrote down uh, my feelings about, like, cool that there's consequences from the wild hunt. Um, I was just thinking about the episode in Doctor Who where it's like, just this once, everyone gets to live. Yeah. It's like, it could have just been just this once, everyone gets to live. Yeah, except they came back for 6B. Yeah. So. Anyway, um, I loved that Scott had his little assistant coach jacket with an embroidery on it and yeah. everything. That's expensive. Yeah, it's funny because Coach is like, I'm not paying you, but Coach, somebody bought that jacket with it school was funds. Absolutely it was definitely him. you. Yeah, yeah, Coach loves Scott. He really, really does. Yeah. What are your observations? Um, oh, I loved the whole scene where uh, Lydia is in the house and she answers the phone that transports her into her Banshee vision because that's a great callback to Meredith. Mm-hmm. Yeah, also the phone clearly wasn't on, which yeah. is great. Yes, mm-hmm. which because the phone was never on with Meredith. I loved the design of like the shadows and the way that the camera was tilting to sort of really disorient you. I thought that whole scene was so good. Um, um, I Oh, and I loved when Scott turned on the lights in the Jeep and she was just standing there, which is actually a callback to like season too when she comes out of the woods yeah spooky yeah even. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked it. yeah good callbacks malia is so funny in this episode i look the scene when they when liam and mason find the rat king and they're like malia what do you think happens and she describes how a rat king happens and they're like did you read up on rat kings and she's like what's a rat king <laughs> she's so funny she's literally so funny i love malia um i love when we get reminded that she literally was just a coyote for six years yeah and she has like amazing like instinct animal senses yeah. because of that which is so smart um i liked this everything with her and lydia um and yeah i loved the scene with mason and liam 
They basically had like a be your own anchor type of scene together. It was really cute. It was very cute. Liam is just bleeding out. Um, yeah, it was. Yeah, I really, really, I liked that. This is going to sound like a weird observation, but like they really let Dylan Sprayberry just have chest hair in this season, which is great because I feel like Teen Wolf's instinct would be to wax it off. It does make him look slightly too old to be in high school, but say la vie. You know what? Um, perhaps it was just a little way to compensate for him being five, six and a half. <laughs> yeah, they're like, if you can't be a tall man, you can be a hairy one. I don't know. It seems like a fair trade-off to me. Sure, sure. Um, I hope in the movie everybody comes back with all of their tattoos. Because yes. he's covered in tattoos and Tyler Posey is covered in tattoos. Just do it. Just do it. Yeah. Not up and do it. The bike. And you know what? Put Parrish in some bike shorts. But, yeah. Some really, really. You know what? No, in the shorts. movie. In the movie. Dick out. Dick out. <laughs> Ryan Kelly, our biggest fan. I'm so sorry. <laughs> We're just, you know, like a Ken doll situation. <laughs> no, just don't. Like, I've said this. Just don't film him from the front. <laughs> little booty. Okay. My observations are done. <laughs> Do you want to give us back stats? Sure, there were a lot of them because Liam could not keep it together. He could not. Oh, come on, get it together, Liam. Uh, there were nine eyes. Nine. Nine. Um, and then two claws. I will say that um, his like little dirty acrylics looked really bad in this episode. <laughs> they were just really gnarly. His dirty acrylics. That's what they are. They, I mean, they are. Yeah, you're right. They're like brown wooden tree acrylics like, yeah they're just gross yeah. um and then i counted four shirts because like again they're not fully naked but like people are you know they're they flame off yeah and flame on they flame on every once again, in a while you will really miss an opportunity for Parrish to be like a big fat nerd and be like flame on it'd be very funny um but i do like that he's like able to transform at will now i guess um there was a toyota ad just because people drive it and then a little like pan around um malia's mac which i feel like hasn't happened before oh I, yeah i feel like we don't usually see uh apple products yeah moving um, up teen wolf he's looking good um and coincidentally enough no sirens nice i feel like we have been blessed and the city of chicago has been um chilled out yeah this episode was so not chill it was so poorly paced it was i should have put that in observations but god it was so too much too much teen wolf it unfortunately um like it really did feel like a typical teen wolf episode but But by the time not what i wanted no i know not for a season opener and by the time we got to the end i was like this is still happening yeah i was like you two are still living (laughs) yeah um do you have an alpha of the week Mm, lydia okay or parish i don't know i feel like nobody does anything particularly great in this episode but um lydia figures out that they have to stay yeah i I get to lydia i think parish is doing you know i'm gonna give it to liam yeah, I'll give it to Liam. He's going through a hard time right he's now. He's going through some real shit, so I'll, I'll give it to him in support of whatever it is he's going through, the teen angst. I think that about wraps it up. Well, if you liked this episode, you can follow us on Twitter at TeenWolf underscore real, which is also our Instagram handle, Ryan Kelly. You can follow us there. <laughs> um, if you We're, really like... <laughs> he already follows he us. He already follows us. What are we talking about? <laughs> um, 
If you really like this episode, you can leave us a review on iTunes. We will, if you leave us five stars in a review, we'll read it out loud, do some commentary. If you really, really like this episode, you can buy us coffee, ko-fi.com forward slash channel free wolf, or uh, buy our stickers on Redbubble, just redbubble.com forward slash channel free wolf. Other than that, I have been Christian. And I've been Julia. And we hope you guys have a wolf of a week. Uh, woo!